Hello, I'm Alice Howard. And I'm Laurie Phillips. And you're listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, The Real ESP Experience. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 169. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelon Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey son, hey son! Good, good, good. How, how, how are things? How are you guys? I feel fine. Uh, Jelena, not so much, I think. I, I feel mm. pretty. <laughs> you feel, feel pretty. pretty. <laughs> Start singing. <laughs> no, I feel sick under the weather. Oh. Uh, I'll survive. Uh, Hope we can or share not. Your... You know, there's 50-50 chance, you know. Of what? Of what? Of survival. Of survival. <laughs> yeah. No, we have a 100% chance of dying. <laughs> of not At survival. some point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But not tonight, Jelena, because it would be such a downer. Not tonight, Josephine, not tonight. Yeah, not tonight. Oh, not tonight, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have a, I have a chance to die tomorrow. I'm going to do, I'm, I'm oh, do yeah. crazy stuff, crazy yeah, gonna shit. Like I'm, I'm going to go on a boat on a, on a very, well, I wouldn't call that sea very calm. And I'm going to climb a volcano. Yes, you do, yes. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, so that's what I do for a living. So where are you then? Where you have seas that are not calm and volcanoes? Sicily. Sicily. The northern shore of Sicily. I'm currently in Milazzo. Yeah, tomorrow I'm going to see the Aeolian Islands. But guess what? I'm not going to see Stromboli. No? Stromboli. It's out of reach for us. Mm. You know, I'm traveling with uh, elderly people. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> All right, but that sounds exciting. So uh, yeah, it is all the it. things you get to do in your work, Andras. Yeah, like tonight of uh, sorting out the menu and um, trying to make everyone happy and staying within the legal boundaries. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm happy, and I haven't even been fed, so that's good. Oh, nice. Oh, you haven't? <laughs> Not by you, anyway. Did you have a quarrel with Ulva? Uh, no, 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 no. I'm the one. Cooking the food here around, at least sometimes. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, that's... You should be cooking for us once. Oh, yeah. Or twice. Yeah. Or several times. You will yeah. come over here tomorrow night if you want to, so... Okay. Yelena, are we going? Yeah, why not? Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Why, why, why don't we go to Sweden? Or just visit a website that is uh, put together by Swedish people. For you guys, I'm, I'm sure you know what Getminder is. I, I do, yes. Yep. Obviously, it's a team, basically it's a project started by the late uh, Hans Rusling. Now his, uh, his son, Ula Rusling, is the name? Yep, that's true. That's yeah. right. Uh, he's the one running the show. They are distributing a very interesting test as of late. Uh, that is uh, the Gapminder Test 2018. I, I do recommend everyone to, to take that test. You have 13 fact questions that you have to answer. You have 45 seconds per question to answer the questions. And it's all about what the state of the world is. 
because we do have mm-hmm. some idea as to as to what the, what the world is like now and what we're heading towards and especially when it comes to things like climate change obviously we tend to be very pessimistic right that can boil down to a lot of other things that we encounter in our lives and uh but turns out when you analyze things based on statistical data the picture is not that bad no I haven't managed to pass the test because you have to answer all 13 questions right. So I do How like How many did fact. you get right? Uh, 11, I think. Yeah, same as me, actually. Yeah, yeah. So it's not so easy. You can't just pick the most optimistic reply all the time. That 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 yeah. doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just not, not the right pattern, yeah. <laughs> no. You have to think. But uh, also you have to be knowledgeable enough, I think, about the, the state of the world. And uh, I do like that. Why I think it's relevant for skeptics is because it's based on statistical data. So it's like trying to figure out where you are in terms of your perceptions versus the facts. Yeah. Obviously, we're going to share the link on the show notes. And um, and I do recommend every everyone uh, listening to this to take the test. It's fun. And you can learn a lot. And the Gapminder is a great project anyway. So Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead and t- take that test and maybe you will become a winner. We are going to announce a winner here, actually, about something totally different. Oh, yes. (laughs) Listeners may recall that we have a raffle ongoing for getting a ticket to Skepcon in Augsburg in Germany. That's in... That's right. Yeah, it's the end of this month, 30th of May to 1st of June. And it's full weekend ticket. It's 170 euros. We have uh, received some uh, applications for winning that ticket. We have one ticket to to give out. And I have prepared, you can't see me now, of course, but I have prepared a a hat with papers in them and I can shake them around a bit. Maybe you can hear that a little bit. And (laughs) I'm going to shake it a little bit around so it becomes really scientifically, well, not so scientifically, but somewhat random. And I will put my name in a hat you put your name in the I'm hat? Naming the hat. No, I have the names in the hat. The, 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 yeah, yeah. So your name, your name's in it? No, no, my name is not in that. No, no, no. Okay, that okay, wouldn't okay. Be, that wouldn't be fair. And I will draw the lucky winner. Okay. And, and we have a winner. <laughs> really? Okay. The winner is Philip Schunke. Philip Schunke. Philip Schunke. Philip Schunke. Congratulations. Congratulations, Philip. He also Well done. S- yeah, and he also sent us a uh, a motivation because we asked for it. It didn't re- actually in the end turn out to be important for winning or not, but I can read it up anyway because it's interesting. And Philip wrote to us and he said, I've been following the GWP, that's the German skeptics who organized this, and the Skepcon for a couple of years now, but I have always had one excuse or another not to join time, work, etc. Another reason on my own podcast, oh, he has his own podcast, on German health policy. There he always, I always try to promote skeptical thinking, anti-quackery in German healthcare, homeopathy, Heilpraktika, the lax attitude of MPs toward homeopathy within their own ranks, etc., for example, we've had several interviews on that topic with GVOP members or skeptics like Natalie Grams or Christian Weimeyer. 
Now winning the ticket would both give me a great opportunity to record a couple of interviews as well as it would get me out of my lethargy and fix the date firmly in my calendar. So yes, we're very happy to help you with that, Philip. And I hope uh, you will get some very good interviews out of it. I think you will. Great. Hmm? Oh, we are we're helping fellow podcasters. That's that's yeah, helping really, the competition. Really nice. And even <laughs> uh, yeah, and especially without the choice wasn't based on that. It was based on random chance. Yes. It's nice, 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 it's very nice. Done. Thanks for preparing the the the, the lottery hat and everything, Pontus. Uh, no worries. Pretty good. Good luck, Philip, and enjoy. Yeah, Scapcon, we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> let uh, Martin Mana know. Yes, who's the machine behind Give UP? And uh, yeah, we'll let him know that you are coming. Perfect. But I don't think Scapcon is the only important event that we want to talk about. And I believe while I was bu- busy feeding people, <laughs> you were recording an, an interview. Is that right? Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So we got somebody from Merseyside Skeptic Society to come and talk about a very, very important upcoming event. Mm-hmm. Okay. We don't want to give out exciting. too much, so we'll we'll let okay. we'll let our guests uh, tell uh, tell everybody about this. All right. So we have a couple of guests on today to talk about something important that is going to happen very soon. And it's a 10 year anniversary of Merseyside Skeptic Society. And the two guests we have on today are Alice Howarth and Laurie Phillips. Uh, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Welcome. We thought we'll, uh, we'll give you an opportunity to talk about the event and, um, maybe start by telling uh, our listeners a little bit about yourself. So we're from the uh, Merseyside Skeptic Society, and we've, we're both members on the board. Your listeners might know me. I'm on one of our podcasts, Skeptics with a K. Laurie's also co-hosted our podcast a couple of times before, um, but we're both co-running along with Mike and Marsh and Sarah, who you know complete our board of the Merseyside Skeptic Society. So we've been running now for, for 10 years, um, and we are... Celebrating that with a big party. The celebration will happen on July the 6th. Um, so that's a Saturday. It's running all day on that Saturday. And then we have a- evening entertainment as well. Okay. And it's, it's going to be in Liverpool. Is that right? Liverpool yeah. at the Liner Hotel um, in Liverpool. And it's £29 for a ticket. Okay, cool. We've got a list of speakers that um, Laurie could tell us about. Yep. Yeah, so uh, we've got several speakers that trace the history of, of Merseyside Skeptic Society and uh, some big names we've had. So we've got Chris French, who people um, are aware of in the skeptic community. So he's head of the Anomalistic Psychology Research Unit at Goldsmiths. So he was our very first speaker a long, long time ago. Um, and so he's going to be giving us a talk basically on, on all the stuff that he gets up to. We've got Myron Jones, who's um, an investigative reporter, and he's broken all sorts of really interesting stories. Exposed Jimmy Savile, or tried to back in the day. He, he um, reported on the Trafigura waste dumping thing. He's done bomb detectors that were used in in Iraq, or fake bomb detectors. They were just uh, golf ball detectors, and all sorts of crazy stuff. So he's going to have incredible stories to tell. And um, we've got Emma McClaw, who's um, solicitor. So she's going to be talking about parole and all sorts of miscarriages of justice, no doubt. We've got Simon Singh. He, along with, with Marsh. Um, involved in the, the Good Thinking Society, obviously. 
and um, so he's going to be talking about the work of the Good Thinking Society and all the things that they do. We've got someone called Alice Howard. Yes, <laughs> I'm going to be doing a, a bit of a talk. I haven't quite decided what that's going to be on yet, but there will be a talk. Big surprise <laughs> then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there's one we've yet to announce, so keep an eye out for that. So that's during the day. We're also going to have an, a number of what we're calling lightning talks, so a bunch of uh, quick fire talks. So I think I'll, I'll do one. There's a few others we're going to get to do some as well. So that'll be fun. Yes, they're ready to announce. Um, and then in the evening, we're going to have Dave Anik. So he's done quite a few skeptics in the pub groups around, around the UK. So he's fairly well known to the skeptic community, but he's, he's done some excellent stuff for us. So he's, he's a ma- magician and so he's going to do our evening entertainment for us. So he should be incredible. Yes, yeah, so that's our, our main event. But yeah. we've also got um, the next day we're going to have a, a picnic. So we every year we have a, a picnic in the park. We're quite a, a social group, so we have quite an activist side as well. But we, we like to um, embrace the social side of skepticism. So every year we have this event where people can come along and even if they can't make our Thursday night events, they can bring their families, that kind of stuff. So we thought it would work out quite well to have um, the picnic on the next day so anyone that's coming in, into town for the MSSX event can then also come to our picnic in the park event as well. Everyone's welcome at, at both, obviously. Uh, the picnic is free. It's £29 for a full day of entertainment at MSSX. Good luck with the weather on uh, the next day because, you know. Yeah, hopefully yeah, it'll be okay. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be at least dry. <laughs> no, we'll also link to the website, uh, which is mssx.co.uk. <laughs> for Merseyside Skeptic Society. I don't know what X stands for. Hmm. Ah, 10. 10. 10. 10. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah with hindsight, we might have gone yeah. for a slightly different name. MSS but... 10 would be obvious, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it shouldn't make it too easy. <laughs> no, no. No, it sounds like a fantastic event. And it, we know, of course, having been to QED several times, we know how good you are, guys, to, to set up a great event. And it looks like it's going to be a very busy day there with lots of good speakers. <laughs> It's not going to be quite as big as QED. It's, but not, it's not a QED. Yeah. We, it, it, definitely not. It can't be on the scale of a QED. A, a... Yeah. How many people are you expecting at all? Do, do you know? I mean, I know it's hard to predict, I guess, now. but Hard to predict, but we, it, it will be on a, a, a much smaller scale than QED. But it will still be, hopefully, a reasonable number. Um, we're, we're making good progress on ticket sales. So definitely want to get a ticket quickly if, if people want to come. So, so it's like a limited ticket sale, but presumably, yeah, because you don't want well, a hotel room that's got a capacity. Yeah. So. yeah. No, of course, it's not a QED, but uh, I'm sure it's going to be well worth going to. We have to keep reminding Mike that it's not a QED. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-uh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, the standards set pretty high. <laughs> Got very high standards. So we've we've already had conversations about maybe if if we want to have a casual night in the pub on the Friday night because people will be coming down the night uh, night before maybe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> very good, very good. Sounds like a great time. <laughs> yeah, it's it seems like you you've been going on for now for ten years. Not not obviously. I don't know you personally. How how long have you been involved? I've been involved in the Merseyside Skeptic Society about six years, five or six years, and then Laurie yeah, maybe, maybe four or five yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, a good chunk of the time, but yeah, not not the full ten years. Yeah, but you seem to be very, as a group, very very uh, active, and, and you seem to have a lot of fun, and you you come up with all these great ideas. What do you think the secret is to that? I personally, I think the secret is that we are such a social group. 
we put a big emphasis on those social interactions, those social connections that you make that are so important in sparking ideas and coming up with with interesting and exciting things to do. So we always make sure our board meetings happen in a pub and we have a social afterwards so that people can engage with those meetings without feeling like it's exclusive to the board. Talk events are always, you know, we always hang around afterwards and try and socialise and then we put on these supplementary events throughout the year. So we have like the picnic in the park, which is family friendly. Yeah, Yeah, we do quizzes, we do um, a Christmas party and all sorts of things like that that just kind of help us form those social connections that really help generate ideas and get people excited to be involved for me i think that's the biggest Mm. secret yeah Uh, and then just a curiosity about things basically curiosity yeah to go weird and find out what's (laughs) what's happening basically yeah marsh and mike is such a big part of it they've both got this this incredible enthusiasm for, for, for weird things and it's so infectious that everybody wants to get involved and come up with new ideas yes Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's it. I'm thinking that a lot of uh, other skeptics group around the world, they are pretty jealous of what you have going <laughs> there. So, But a good thing is you can go there and, and join you, right? Yeah, absolutely. And this is part of the reason we wanted to have Picnic in the Park the next day, just kind of a flavor of one of the typical things that we would do in an average year. So people can come along and, and see what it's like to be part of the group. We know that, you know, a lot of skeptics groups do look to them as a skeptic society for ideas and things. So. Yeah, great. Okay, Good. great stuff. Yeah, and I, I'm sure people already know, but uh, there is a couple of podcasts people can follow if they want to keep up what's happening with your group. Yeah, so we have our bi-weekly, fortnightly Skeptics with a K podcast that is usually me, um, Mike and Marsh, but Laurie occasionally appears so- <laughs> and we have other members of the Mesa Skeptic Society do occasionally pop up on there. Marsh does his monthly Be Reasonable podcast where he talks to somebody with, with views outside of the mainstream. Um, they're kind of tricky to listen to episodes, but very important parts of skepticism, trying to understand <laughs> why people believe what they believe. Mm, absolutely. Very infrequent and incredulous, which I think is now <laughs> basically an annual podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're admitting it now. (laughs) Ah, funny. Nobody expects the incredulous podcast, but when it comes around, you always enjoy it. Always great fun. It's a real gem. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for coming on the show and telling us about this. And good luck with the the event. Thank you very much. Thanks. I'm sure you'll have a good time. All right. Thanks for your time, guys. Fantastic. Excellent. Cheers. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, so here we go, 6th of July. Be there. <laughs> yeah. I just fucking received my uh, schedule for June and July. Not going to be there. Oh. I'm going to finish finish one of my trips on the 6th of July. No, we won't be there, uh, any of us, but I'm sure that it will be a fantastic time, as always, when the yeah. Merseyside skeptics get together. It's always very fun. So uh, mm-hmm. if you can go, please do so and let us know how it went and... You know, I'm inventing this right now off the cuff. If anybody of our listeners want to go there and interview a few people, why don't you send us a recording and maybe we will play that on the show. We will make a special correspondent out of you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that would be great. (laughs) Do that. (laughs) But I think uh, what we should do is uh, go on with the rest of the show because we have prepared a couple of 
interesting segments for you and your listeners. So, uh, why don't we start with This Week in Skepticism, as usual, presented by Yelena. I will be talking about something that happened uh, on 6th of May. I don't know why it came out like this. Uh, 6th of May, 1983. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was uh, debunking of Hitler Diaries. I didn't even know Hitler Diaries existed, to be, fa- to be completely honest with you guys. I'm old enough to remember this. The Hitler Diaries. Yes. Hitler Diaries, yes. Okay. Anyways, so how this all went down was there used to be a German magazine called Stern. I think maybe there is still a German magazine they're called st- Stern. They're still anyway. there, I think. They're very big, yeah. Yeah. Well, do you know what? I'm surprised after losing so much money that they still exist. But anyways, they had a very interesting guy working for them, a journalist who was into Hitler's memorabilia. He was obsessed with Hitler's memorabilia. A bunch of stuff he bought was like fake and whatever. But he got wind of somebody. Oh, yeah. So one of the things he got, he got was Hitler's old boat. And we're like, okay, well, that's great. Anyway, the boat was old and he wanted to restore it, but never did. And it cost too much money. But anyways, his name was Gerd Heidemann. So this Heidemann guy was just on the lookout for a new Hitler's Mabilabilia wherever he went. And uh, he came across um, this one guy he knew with a diary, Hitler's diary, one diary. Uh, he got very, very excited about this and interested and begged for the collector to sell him the diary because as a person working for a magazine, for a Stern magazine, he thought, hmm, I wonder if there's any more out there and if we can make some money selling these diaries to other people. And so uh, he persuaded his acquaintance who got the diary to tell him where he got the diaries from. And it was this guy, what's the word? The person who forges... A forger? The the forger, yes. Uh, Well, he didn't know he was a forger at the time. Under the pseudonym of Herr Fischer. So this Herr Fischer was the the person who sold the original diary. So he tracked them down and the uh, person who was hiding behind uh, the pseudonym Herr Fischer was a antique dealer and a fraudster called Konrad Kujau. He's been um, making forgeries of the uh, Hitler's memorabilia for a long time and selling them very successfully. And he never really thought that the diaries will be of any interest to anyone. And so when he got contacted by Heydemann about other potential copies of the diary, he got really excited. He said, yes, I've got another 20 or whatever. Wow, 20. And uh, yeah, and Heidemann went behind people's backs, uh, big bosses' backs in a Stern magazine, got somebody excited about it as well, uh, even though some people were skeptical, and got some backing f- to pay for these diaries, quite a lot of money. He initially promised this Kaujan person 85,000 marks, German marks, for each volume. So, of course, uh, Kaujan thought, yes, sure, he wanted to uh, sort of uh, have time to write those diaries because they didn't exist. So uh, he invented the story of how each diary has to be exported via secret channels, etc., so that he can only deliver one diary a month. So for the next two years, he started writing those diaries and delivering them to Heidemann, and the magazine in return paid him uh, lots of money. In the meantime, Heidemann decided to do his own shady dealings and actually he reported 
reported to the magazine that he is having to pay 200,000 marks for each volume, <laughs> therefore pocketing a lot of money Jesus. in the process. Anyways, so this whole palaver continued for months and months and months. After discovering the 20 diaries, the dealer miraculously uncovered more diaries, another 10 or so, because of course, who wants to kill that cash cow? You know, in the process, there was so much secrecy around the whole diary, Hitler's diary issue, because keeping Hitler's memorabilia, I think, wasn't particularly a great thing to do, or the public wouldn't approve. But anyways... There was no even like a serious attempt to check whether the diaries were true or not, whether they were real or not. I think uh, before revealing uh, the find, the current magazine did send the samples to, to a couple of people and they came back saying, yes, they look real, except one of the samples was compared to another of Kauja fake. So it was kind of a, a ironic thing. Anyways, so they decided, the Stone decided to go ahead and um, release the information to the world that they acquired those diaries. Um, they went out and they've pitched the rights to sell these diaries to other newspapers. They actually managed to raise some money. But during the press release, a lot of people became very, very skeptical of course, the, the cat was out of the bag and the diaries got properly examined uh, by forensics, where they very easily discovered that the paper that, that was used in the diary and the ink that was used to write in the diary was not old enough to be written during the Hitler's time. Um, and it was just um, the matter of a couple of tests. At first, this magazine thought that maybe just one diary was fake. They've tested 15 more volumes. And then finally, there was no luck. And on Friday, May the 6th, 1983, the verdict was delivered. All the diaries were fake. Uh, by that point, the Stern magazine spent over 9 million marks on paying for the diaries, on various other things. After the whole thing came out, they had to fire a bunch of people, pay them off. And of course, it was a big disaster, really, to be honest with you. <laughs> but anyways, so this Kao Jiao guy went went to jail as well as the Heidemann. Uh, they both went for a few years, four years, I think. Heidemann <laughs> managed to spend... Five million marks in the process. Nobody could account for that money. But I think by the looks of it, he didn't waste time. He bought property and went on very luxurious holidays. So I'm sure he did well before he was locked away. Actually, the antique dealer, uh, Kajai, confessed in the end before going to jail. And after serving his uh, term in jail, he was released and opened his uh, gallery where he was openly selling fakes signed with his name because he became so popular <laughs> that, that, ironically enough, people bought stuff signed by, by him. But anyways, that's a different story altogether. And uh, leading on from that debacle, apparently that led to all sorts of other conspiracy theories of, of, of those you could also read online as well. In conclusion, the diaries were fake. Hitler apparently didn't like writing. It was known. So, I mean, yeah. once you know that fact, when the diaries came out to light, wouldn't it be a bit suspicious? Mm -hmm. But I guess... You know. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you know, you one believes what one wants sometimes. And that's the story of the Hitler diaries. Wow. Quite a story. I, I, I can't... You know, <laughs> in, afterwards, like this, you can't really... Uh, 
understand why they bought it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. would we really? You have to deliver them one, only one every month, and and mm. there are twenty of them, and suddenly there are ten more. And uh, yeah, should have smelled a rat a long time before that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Stern thought they can make a killing from the rights on these diaries, you see. Yeah, yeah, of course, there was a lot of money involved. Um, and, uh, and um, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, thanks, Yelena. One of those crazy stories, yeah. I can't wait to hear what Pontus can poke the Pope for this week. Before we go into the main adventures of Pope Frankie this week... There's a little side story. One would think that a man of uh, Francis' hairdo, or almost rather lack of hairdo, would not have to spend so much time at the barber. But still it seems that the short time he does spend there is enough for the pontifical hairdresser to talk too much. And that is apparently very annoying. So, of course, uh, Frankie had to do something about it. Hmm. Francis apparently has a special interest in hairdressers. Little known fact. In 2015, he had a barbershop installed in the Vatican to serve the homeless. And on 29th of April this year, he hosted a special audience for hairdressers. He especially pointed out to them that they should avoid, and I quote, giving in to the temptation of chatter that easily creeps into your work environment. So there's temptations everywhere. And some temptations is you talk too much while you cut people's hair. Strangely specific problem to address for a Pope, don't you think? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm guessing he got annoyed when he went to hairdressers and now he wanted to address all the annoying hairdressers? Yeah, you you may wonder why he would care about such a, a thing. But I... To be honest, I wonder, I speculate a little bit now, uh, that maybe he doesn't like people confiding into anybody else than a priest. Mm. So people go to the hairdressers and they tell them the life story and then the, the blabbermouth of a hairdresser, he just repeats that to everybody, etc. You don't want that as a pope. You want them to go to a priest and the priest is supposed to be very quiet about it. And then you have the monopoly of confessions, if you will. Yeah, but imagine to what extent it might add to the frustration of a priest to hear juicy stories. Well, mm. maybe the priest is a hairdresser on his spare time and he can mm, yeah. <laughs> he can go on and gossip the next day. I don't, I don't know. know. At least in my mind, it, it, it goes like that. Like yeah. when, when a priest hears somebody's confession about some juicy story, imagine what they feel like. I mean... What the, they... they they yeah, go, that's the temptation. They yeah. go and jerk off right away, or what? I'm so it's like, not sure. That's what I'm, I how I imagine it. That'll have to be for your interpretation. Or right in the box, right in the box while listening to it. No, <laughs> oh, let's disgusting. skip that. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's change the subject. Because the main story of this week is something totally different. It's further proof that Francis may have serious internal challenges to worry about. Last week, we mentioned his ongoing attempt to rewrite the Vatican Constitution and how he himself spoke about attacks from outside and inside of the church. And he may have reasons to be concerned. There is a 70-year-old British Dominican priest called Father Aidan Nichols, 
who has led a band of 19 renegade priests, and they have together written an open letter calling for Francis to be charged as a heretic. The letter attacks Francis for not being outspoken enough against abortions and much too accommodating towards such scary groups as homosexuals, Muslims, and even Protestants. Ooh, Mm -hmm. those are scary. Really scary thing. Mm, Yeah, yeah. So there's a 20-page letter that was posted on uh, 30th of April, and the, the group behind it writes, and I quote, We take this measure as a last resort to respond to the accumulating harm caused by Pope Francis' words and actions over several years, which have given rise to one of the worst crises in the history of the Catholic Church, in their opinion, I must add. Yeah. So I myself, of course, think that Frankie is conservative as fuck. But for a pope, he's quite controversial and even progressive by some accounts. And there have been a growing concern in the ultra-conservative wing of the Catholic Church. So I'm actually going to make a prediction here and now. Okay. Yeah. Pontus sees the future. The Another next segment? Pope, <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> See how this goes. The next pope to be elected, and remember, Francis is 82 years old. Mm-hmm. The next pope, I believe, will be a very conservative and hard-leaning traditionalist. Why would you say that? Uh, uh, yeah, because I think the pendulum will swing back. This pope, Francis, is considered too progressive, uh, too open. Against, almost liberal. Yeah, almost too liberal, right? Mm. And so um, the pendulum will swing back and they will find a more hardcore pope. When God Francis, help us all. Yeah, God help us all. You keep uh, <laughs> calling for God to help things on this show. I don't know if you've... Yeah. Under, if, have you read what we are all about, really, Andras? Uh, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, have no, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. No, but it's interesting. We will see how it turns out. Or not all everybody in the Catholic Church is very happy with Francis. Yeah. Or outside the church, for that matter. Mm. <laughs> Maybe he will have to form his new uh, new church. A new own. church? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Don't think he will. This is what, what what some politicians do. They're not happy with the just joining an already existing party. They, they make up their own party. Yeah. And um, some people actually win. <laughs> yeah. You're right. By the way, I th- I think I realize why I am um, leaning towards uh, r- referring to God so much. Mm-hmm. I think I've uh, visited too many uh, church buildings in the last couple of days. Beware, beware. Yeah, beware, beware. <laughs> Comes with the job, I guess. All right. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Pontus, for poking the sure. Pope once again. And uh, let's move on to co- uh, discussing a couple of news items. What's happening in Europe? Well, you tell us, Sandras. Okay, so first of all, I was very, very happy to read about this. Um, obviously, we are following the GVOP website, which is the, the German skeptical organization, recently referred to as the organizer of SkepCon. But they give out an award. Actually, that is the Austrian branch of uh, GVUP because it's the, the German-speaking organization, not only the, the one in Germany. So it, it has um, an Austrian branch. And the Austrian branch gives out, for the fourth time, an award uh, named after Heinz Oberhumer. 
Heinz Oberhumer was an Austrian physicist and skeptic, and a member of the scientific advisory board of the Giordano Bruno Foundation and GWP. Well, he he was a prominent Austrian skeptic. This award is given to those who are doing something special in science communication. This time, the Austrian award goes to no such thing as a fish. What? Does that ring a bell? No, it doesn't, actually. No, it doesn't. Remind us. But um, Okay, but uh, you must be familiar, and a lot of our listeners must be familiar with the show, the BBC show QI. Mm-hmm. Yes. Quite interesting. It was started with uh, Stephen Fry as a host. I think he was the host for 13 years, and now it's hosted by Sandy Toksvik. Yeah. And and she gives out uh, her Randy Scandies occasionally. I, I really love those, the random Scandinavian <laughs> facts. So, but obviously behind a show like that, where there are a lot of facts and a lot of fact checking and a lot of debunking common misbeliefs and misconceptions, you have to have a bunch of people working in the background doing the research and, and, and stuff. So that is done by the people who are usually referred to as the QI elves. Hmm? Yes, uh, by name, it's um, James Harkin, Andrew Hunter-Murray, Anna Ptasinski, and uh, Dan Schreiber. And uh, those four are gathering every week in London, and they record a show where they talk about the their favorite facts from that week that they found while doing the research for the show. And they've been doing this, uh, it uh, since uh, 2014, and they have received quite a number of awards. Apple, for example, named them the best new podcast of the year in 2014. That's a good start, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> And in 2015 and 2016, they won the Internet Award in the Chortle Awards. They have like 700,000 subscribers, according to their Wikipedia page, which refers to the QI main page where it is shared. So it's it's quite a successful show. And I'm vaguely familiar with the show. I really like that. And I really, I absolutely love QI. So both of the shows that they do, or they are behind... I really love. So I'm very happy to see them winning this uh, Heinz Oberhumer Award. I think it has relevance to skepticism because of a lot of debunking and talking about common misconceptions and, and how things are not quite what they look like usually. So well done. Congratulations. However, I have to say that it's uh, the, the announcement was made quite well in advance because the ceremony, the award ceremony will take place in November. So Ooh. they have to wait a long time. It's going to be. It's <laughs> yeah. going to take take place on the twenty fifth of November uh, in the city hall of Vienna. All right, nice, very good. Yeah. All right, I will talk about something that is not that good. There is an old rumor that is resurfacing uh, from Sweden, uh, but it's making the rounds internationally. It's a piece of fake news from twenty seventeen that is now going about again. With a rather strange header, I will explain why it's strange in a moment. But the header is, quote, Sweden has banned mandatory vaccinations because of health concerns. Mm. The story which it's linked to talks about seven 
propositions in the parliament about mandatory vaccinations that were voted down by the Swedish parliament due to health concerns. <laughs> this is wrong on so many levels. Sweden has not banned any va- vaccinations and vaccinations have never been mandatory in, in the first place. So it's very strange. There is a true story here, but it doesn't have anything to do with health concerns. But I, I think it would be interesting to look at the details here because it's an illustration on how fake news can be born and from you know, a little acorn grows a big tree or something. Uh, I don't know if that's the right metaphor, but you you see what I mean. Bear with me. I will unpack this story a little bit. In 2017, there were two propositions in the parliament, Swedish parliament, not seven, concerning making some vaccinations mandatory. The propositions were voted down on recommendation from the Swedish Public Health Agency, since the agency argued that there was no need to make them mandatory. Mm-hmm. The vaccination rates for children under the age of two was found to be around 97% for the diseases included in the national and still voluntary, I should say, vaccination program. And this program covers diphtheria, tetanus, whooping cough, also known as pertussis, pneumococcus, pneumococcus, Mm -hmm. polio, hepatitis B, measles, mumps, and rubella. And if you consider the last three, the MMR, as one vaccination, then you actually get to seven, which is probably the source of the seven in the fake news story. So, no, mandatory vaccination has not been banned seven times in Sweden due to health concerns because, A, you cannot ban anything that was never the law, B, It was two propositions, not seven vaccinations involved. C, the propositions was to make them mandatory, not to ban them. Mm -hmm. And D, the reason the propositions were not approved was not health concerns. It was because the rules were not necessary. So, you know, (laughs) that's how fake news work. You have a little kernel of truth and people just pick some words out of it and make it a big new salad and they serve it to the public and everything is still wrong with this. So, Mm. not mandatory, never banned. It was about number of propositions with two, not seven. Uh, It was propositions. It wasn't about the number of vaccinations and uh, there were no health concerns involved at all. Yeah. And spreading this kind of misinformation is what leads to European countries being so under-vaccinated. And uh, it's it's unbelievable. I just read on the WHO website that uh, in the European region, that includes uh, countries like Albania, Romania, Ukraine and stuff, in the first two months of 2019, there were more than 34,000 measles cases reported and 13 measles-related deaths. In, mm. in three countries, Albania, Romania, and Ukraine. So yeah. I realized now I was looking for a couple of news items and, and I came across a lot of vaccination related ones. And I could say, or you could say that, you could say that, oh, there's too many of them. We should just leave this alone, but you should, we shouldn't. We have to bang on this as long as there is at least 1% who's not vaccinated. Because we have to have everyone vaccinated. Vaccinated. Obviously, we cannot vaccinate everyone because there are exceptions that have to be made because of uh, medical reasons. But no other yeah. reason should be accepted. 
That's right. But the problem is, it's so easy to spread this fake news, yeah. the, like the one I just t- talked about. And it takes forever to try to debunk it, and it's just confusing, and nobody wants exactly. to listen to all of that. Exactly. It's so much easier to just tell a lie than to try to debunk a lie. Yeah, and I, I don't think that just making it simple and telling everyone that vaccines work, shut up, vaccinate your kids. Yeah. Because it's that kind of attitude that, that will alienate people and you will lose that argument. We have to try to educate people. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, on to something more uplifting. Although, actually, I said that and I'm thinking, is it really uplifting? I don't know. On to an annual award that is being given by our Portuguese friends from Comcept. It's a skeptic organization, a Portuguese skeptical community. Mm-hmm. And it's another year and another nomination for the Flying Unicorn Award 2019. It's open. It's live. Nice. We will link uh, the website on uh, our, in our show notes for those who would like to vote. This is for Portuguese businesses, personalities, TV, show, etc. only. We have covered the uh, Unicorn Award several times, and it's a prize, sort of a satirical prize, to those who inadvertently contributed to a spread of pseudoscience, superstition, and other forms of disinformation. So, if you know of anyone or any show or television personality or magazine in Portugal and you'd like to vote, uh, there'll be three categories you can vote in. There is a Grafanola for the media and its agents. There is a Falling Staff for the stars of television and artistic sporting and social world. And there's a Naked King for all others who make contribution to the spread of dubious allegations without evidence or against them. So here we go. Flying Unicorn Award 2019 is open. Bloody hell where the time flies. Yeah. <laughs> And it's going to be open till March, right? So almost a year to cast the votes. So blah, blah. Oh, yes. There's loads of time, you guys. Yeah. The voting phase is in March 2020, so I'm guessing they're going to be closing early 2020 to try to count the votes. So, yes, there's plenty of time still, but, yeah, yeah. there we go. I really like the fact that they announced it the first of, on the 1st of April. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I think uh, now that we have uh, talked about Um, awards given to those who talk bullshit and um, all the different kinds of shit. I think we should move on to discussing who's been really won. Yes, we should. We have our own award to give out and we all realize you should not always trust everything you read on the internet, shocker. Yeah. <laughs> If we've understood so much so far, then that that's good. It's almost too obvious to mention, but sometimes it's good that people investigate how valid such truths really are. There's a team at the University of Glasgow who decided to look into one specific category of internet content to check how bad advice you really get exposed to, uh, statistically speaking. And they looked at uh, specifically into diet and health advice from influencers on Twitter to see what kind of advice they were spreading to their followers. We all know you shouldn't take advice from a Twitter account, but... but <laughs> Unless it's, it's not on the drums. 
Yeah, oh, that's true. That's true. So it's interesting to see what kind of advice are being spread there. So they looked at the Scottish influencers who had more than 80,000 followers. So they limited their study to people who really are influencers, who really have a great outreach. Do you know how bad it was? Want to guess? No. Was it bad? No, no. It was terrible. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty bad. This team examined whether the health and diet claims made by these influencers were transparent, trustworthy, nutritionally sound, and if they included evidence-based references. And uh, the result was that eight times out of nine, these influencers gave bad diet and fitness advice. So eight out of nine times. The authors concluded, and I quote, Social media influencers' blogs are not credible resources for weight management. Popularity and impact of social media in the context of the obesity epidemic suggests all influencers should be required to meet accepted scientifically and medically justified criteria for the provision of weight management advice online. So that's a fancy way of saying that They shouldn't be allowed to spread this stupid advice without proper ground, well, without checking it properly first. And it's it's not about qualifications because um, there are a lot of people, influencers out there, who do have qualifications, but they still talk shit. So it's... uh, (laughs) Yes. It's not enough to have the qualifications and to have doctor in front of your name or whatever you can you can put in front of your name. Yeah. Yeah, they actually looked into that as well. Many of these influencers lacked any nutritional competence. <laughs> and they were just happy happy amateurs making things up or rather maybe they were repeating things that they've heard from other things but but no with no control whatsoever. There was often no disclaimer, no evidence-based sources and the so-called recommendations were often so bad when it came to energy content, carbohydrates, protein, fat, saturated fat, fiber, sugar, and salt content that it was even detrimental. You you should not follow these advices. Yeah. I think they're they're just too confident in their small little world controlled by Dunning and Kruger. It's... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And they're not really interested in being scientific or so. They no. are interested in, in spreading things that sound good, that get them a lot of likes. And that sort of validates them and th- makes them think that they're right because otherwise people wouldn't like them so much. But yeah. that's not how it works. You can, yeah, yeah. You can spread them. So I'm, I'm not really surprised about this, of course. But it's good to get this in black and white and that somebody investigates this, mm-hmm. really. So... Who's getting so, the prize now? Well, any non-qualified influencer, and that's most of them, who, to paraphrase Simon Singh, actually, happily promotes bogus claims on Twitter <laughs> and other media, they all get today's prize for being really wrong. Be careful. Simon got sued for that. No, he actually <laughs> got off the hook. That's why I chose that formulation. Yeah, After he, he long... got off the hook, but he got sued initially. <laughs> Yes, but it, there are there are precedents. That is something you can say. You can say that people yeah. are happily promoting bogus claims. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I yeah, I can think of another influencer who's uh, who's really great and she knows her stuff. And she mostly does that on Twitter and Instagram. And that is Pixie Turner. 
but uh, yeah, I really like the fact that that how, how much she sticks to science and but she's yeah. very confrontative. So yeah, I but she's the uh, she is absolutely one of the exceptions. Most yeah. of the things out there are just bullshit. Yeah, the fact that that she's out there and she's not promoting bullshit and she's well advocating a science-based lifestyle and everything and not to be too scared about everything. Okay. Thank you very much Pontus. Thank you. I think it's time to conclude the show, but obviously before we do that, we have to hear a quote. Yalana, have you got something for us? Yes, I do. I have a quote from the Scottish philosopher David Hume. Mm -hmm. He said, In our reasonings concerning matter of fact, there are all imaginable degrees of assurance, from the highest certainty to the lowest species of moral evidence. A wise man, therefore, proportions his belief to the evidence. Mm -hmm. Yes. like that. There we go. That's right. Okay. Very good. Nice, nice, nice. All right. So I think that means we have to finally end this show. Uh, I mean, not forever, but no. uh, until next week. So thanks, Yelena and Pontus, for joining me today. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Paka, paka. Bye-bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Was that it? Right. So let me just <laughs> <laughs> Let me just get my shit together. Open Hang on a open second. open the page this time before you start talking. Anyway, so guys I missed you so much. I've got I've got it now. I've got it now here. Look, yep. listen up, everybody. What you can poke the Pope Pontus for? No. Poke the <laughs> Pontus for. Or with. <laughs> okay. <laughs> for or with, you know. <laughs> what? And on that note. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> Ah, nice. Feeling better. Uh, okay. Looking forward to okay. editing this one, yeah. <laughs>